Matthew chapter 5. So last week, we introduced, we were introduced to the greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached. Of course, we're speaking about the Sermon on the Mount, as it's been called, and uh, Yeshua being the preacher who preached the sermon. Um, <clears throat> and we learned that true blessedness, true bliss, True contentedness comes not from, nor is affected or influenced by outward circumstances. True blessedness, true bliss, true joy, true contentedness comes from a right relationship with our Creator. Therefore, as we learned last week, an unbeliever Though he may experience moments and feelings of being blessed, limited joys, and circumstantial contentedness, all of those are very fragile. Very fragile and affected by outward anomalies. Now, the word blessed is used several times throughout scriptures in reference to Jehovah God. Psalm 68, 35 says, God, you are awesome from your sanctuary. The God of Israel himself gives strength and power to the people. Blessed be God. Psalm 72, 18 says, Blessed be the Lord God, the God of Israel, who alone works wonders. 1 Timothy 1.11, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And then 1 Timothy 6.15 says, for at just the right time, Christ will be revealed from heaven by the blessed and the only almighty God, the king of all things and the Lord of all lords. Blessedness. So therefore, blessedness is a characteristic of God. And we can only share in the characteristic of God and of his nature when we walk in God's ways. Isaiah 55 and verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways declares the Lord. So, is it any surprise that as we look at what Yeshua says is required for true blessedness, that it is the polar opposite of what man would say true blessedness was? God says, blessed are the humble. The world says, blessed are the proud. God says, blessed are they who mourn. Man says, blessed are those who laugh. 
God says, blessed are those who seek righteousness. Man said, blessed are those who seek things that stimulate and satisfy the flesh. Man says, blessed are those. God says, blessed are those who show mercy. Man says, blessed are those who find sweet revenge. And God said, blessed are those who are persecuted. And man says, are you kidding me? You see, man looks at this list and says, it's absurd. This list is absolutely absurd. Blessed are you that are rich, that are powerful, that are beautiful, that are successful, the popular, the famous, the assertive. That would be a list list that the world would give you that says, this is what blessedness is. What they don't understand is that blessedness comes from a satisfied spirit. That's what true blessedness is. External things will never satisfy internal needs. Ever. External things will never satisfy internal needs. And yet if you watch commercials on TV... They will tell you that things satisfy. Buying things brings happiness. Achieving things brings meaning. And doing things is the cherry on the top. All of those things, if you were to watch and to listen to what the world says, these things will always satisfy your spirit. You know, this is the thing. Jesus warned about this type of thinking. Luke chapter 12 And verse 15 says, then he said, beware. Guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. Proverbs 23 verses 4 and 5 say, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. In the blink of an eye, wealth disappears, for it will sprout wings and it will fly away like an eagle. Matthew chapter 13 and verse 22 says, And the one sown with seed among the thorns is the one who hears the word and the anxiety of the world and the deceitfulness of wealth chokes the word and it becomes unfruitful. And 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17 says, Do not love the world nor the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and the pride of our achievements, uh, achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are of the world, and the world is passing away, and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God continues to live forever. So let me ask you this. How blessed are those who seek blessedness and wealth? I found this one humorous. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 6 through 8 says, Don't eat with people who are stingy. It says, don't desire their delicacies. 
they are always thinking about how much it costs. Eat, drink, they say, but they don't mean it. <laughs> you will throw up what little you have eaten, and your compliments will be wasted. <laughs> it says, how much peace do they have when they're always worried about what everything costs about how much it's costing them to do this and how much it's costing them to do that. You see, you reach the highest level of success the world can offer and you will still lack completeness. You reach the highest level that this world offers and you will still feel empty inside. It cannot satisfy the spirit. You see... True contentment comes from the Spirit. And yet so many churches today teach us that God wants us to have things. Paul said these ministries must be silenced. In Titus 1.11 he says this, They must be silenced. Because they are turning whole families away from the truth by their false teachings, and they do it only for money. <laughs> now listen, it's so important that we understand that as we go through these beatitudes, that we understand this, that these beatitudes are not probabilities. These per are pronouncements of divine judgment of blessedness. These are not probability. He's not saying if you do these things, you'll probably be blessed. And these are the blessedness that you will receive. These are divine judgments of blessedness. You see, just as God judgment, pronounces judgments of woe in chapter 23, here he pronounces judgments of blessedness. You see, the opposite of a blessed life is a cursed life. So look with me at chapter 5 and verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Spirit. So Yeshua starts his sermon with, Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I want to I want to point this out as we go through this. What we see here is not just a haphazard, they just threw these things out here. All of these are in order, they're in for a purpose, they are progressive. There is an order of progression that we see within this. And it represents a blessedness that is also progressive. Each blessed are thee takes us to the next level. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So you must be poor before you can mourn. And you must mourn before you can be meek. And it continues on as that. So we must 
understand what poor in spirit means so that we can recognize it in ourselves. We must understand what this means. So here we look. First we look at the word poor. Now, this word means to shrink. It means to cover. It means to cringe. You see, the idea here is of a beggar. It's of a beggar who has been reduced to the lowest level of beggary. Total destitution. You see, the idea is that he cowers in the corner, ashamed of his depravity. He, with one hand, holds out and begs for alms, and with the other one, he covers his face in shame. That's the idea of poor. This past week, I worked in Springfield. And because I was studying this, and because I was studying poor in the spirit, and I'd been looking at this idea of poor, this idea of begging, and I kept thinking about the fact that, that the word means to be ashamed. The word means to be totally destined. It means to be uh, uh, just horrified at the state you're in. And so I really took a notice of the beggars in Springfield. And they're on every corner. You don't have to look far. And this is what I noticed. I never seen a single beggar in Springfield that was ashamed. Not one. Not one single person out there. Every one of them, every single one of them that I seen would walk towards car, making eye contact with every single car as they were walking down through there. Not one of them was ashamed of where they were at. Or at least it didn't appear that way. It wasn't what we're talking about here. It isn't what we see here. The idea here is that you are so ashamed that you're unable to take care of yourself. You're so ashamed that somebody else has to supply your needs, that you cover yourself, you hide your, fa say, your face. And yet I watched and every single one of those walk down the street and they looked at everybody in the car. Some of them waved and smiled. I had one gentleman wave and smile at me when I went by. I was just thinking about this here. Now, there's another word that's translated poor. Now, this one has a different meaning. You see, the widow in the story of the widow's might was described with this word for poor. Now, she had very little, but she was not a beggar. A beggar would not even have two copper coins to put in. The type of beggar described in our text today would have nothing. Absolutely nothing. You see, the other poor that, mentioned the, that w was mentioned in the widow's uh, might story, this person would be someone who lived on a fixed income or somebody who lived from paycheck to paycheck. Or as I used to tell the guys at work, I'm one paycheck away from bankruptcy. <laughs> That's the type of poor 
that we see in the story of the widow's might. But the type of poor that we see here is someone who is absolutely, completely destitute. They have nothing to offer. They have no ability to offer. They have no ability to even start to provide for themselves. You see, the poor described in our text has absolutely no means of self-support. They were typically blind, crippled, deaf, mute, and they had no way of ever becoming self-supported. And they knew that. They knew they were empty. They knew they were destitute. They knew there was nothing they could ever do to reach a point where they could support themselves. So what kind of poor? So we see poor here and we understand what he's speaking of, but what type of poorness is he talking about? You see, in Luke chapter 21 and verse 2, it just says, blessed are the poor. Now, the problem with that is, is people want to get a hold of that. And some, some people teach that Jesus is saying that for those who have material poverty are blessed. And they want to try to attach it here to Matthew chapter 5 and say, or yeah, 5 verse 3. And they want to say that in Luke chapter 21, it says, blessed are the poor. That's a poor interpretation. You see, we have a problem with that. If a person, now listen, if a person was truly blessed when they had poverty, when they had material poverty, wouldn't Jesus contradict himself in this very sermon in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 42 when he told us to give to the poor? If they were blessed to be poor, why in the world would you give them money and take that blessedness away from them? Doesn't sound very Christ-like to me. You see, if Jesus was teaching true blessedness came in material poverty, it would be very unchristian to try and relieve them of that poverty. That is not at all what Jesus was teaching over there. We find it in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 3 when he tells us that blessed is the poor in spirit. It has nothing to do with material poverty. And listen, I'm not even going to deny. I mean, we understand that in some ways the poor have an advantage over the wealthy. They just do. They generally have less distractions and less temptations, generally. Matter of fact, Matthew chapter 19 and verse 24 says, And again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter into the kingdom of God. So even in Scripture, it recognizes that sometimes wealth comes with a lot of problems. But this is not at all what is being taught here. You see, if it was so important for believers to be this type of poor, 
then why didn't Jesus and his disciples beg? You see, they were accused of a lot of things, but begging wasn't one of them. They were accused of being liars. They were accused of being demon-possessed. They were accused of, of working on the Sabbath, but not one time do you ever see where they're accused of being beggars. And believe me, if they were, it would have been brought out. And Paul, Paul, as, as a type of, of badge wore around, he told everybody that he worked for his money. He made sure that everybody, I don't depend on anybody for mine. He said, I work so that I can preach. But see, this is the flip side. Nowhere in Scripture does you see where the rich are condemned for being wealthy. Not once. Nicodemus, Roman, the Roman centurion, Joseph of Arimathea, Philemon, all of them were very wealthy, and not one time do you see them being condemned for their wealth. Not once. It isn't the wealth that's the problem. So he says, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. So, what is he talking about? The poor in spirit. You see, this is the thing. The person that is poor in spirit recognizes that they are spiritually destitute. That they have nothing to offer God. They have nothing to offer God. And like the beggar, they are ashamed of their spiritual state. And they cower at the thought of facing their creator. They're ashamed of who they are spiritually without God. And their only supply and their only hope to be relieved from being a spiritual destitute is a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's their only hope. And just like that beggar, they realize they have nothing. They have nothing they can do. They have no way that they can ever get out of that state that they're in. And see, this is the thing. It says, in the spirit. So that also tells us that this person recognizes in the spirit their poverty. It's genuine. They understand how lost they are. It's not just an outward show for the benefit of those around them. They truly recognize how wretched they are and how destitute they are in the spirit. You see, the true beggar, the one that is poor in spirit, is broken. They are absolutely broken. Psalms 34, 18 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. Psalms 51:17 says, "The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart, O Lord." And listen, one of the most Beautiful illustrations, one of the best illustrations that we have of the contrast of somebody with a beggar spirit 
and somebody who has a haughty spirit, somebody who believes that they are holy in and of themselves and God is lucky to have them is the story in Luke chapter 18, verse 9 through 14. Listen. Now, he also told his parable to some of the people who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and viewed others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and began praying this in regard to himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, not swindlers or crooked adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Standing some distance. Oh, I'm sorry. I fast twice a week. I pay tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing some distance away was even unwilling to raise his eyes towards heaven. But he was beating his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went to his house justified rather than the one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. The proud man stood to the back, and he stood, and he says, God, you are lucky to have me. I am right. I study. I pray three times a day. I pay tithes on every little thing I have. God, you are so lucky to have me. And the tax collector who realized just how poor in spirit he was could not even raise his eyes to heaven but said, God, have mercy on me. He recognized there was nothing he could do for himself. He had nothing to offer God. Nothing. And he fell upon the mercy of his creator to give him what he needed in his spirit. You see, God can use the poor in spirit. That's the thing he desires. God can use the poor in spirit. Moses was a stuttering mess. And he realized his spiritual poverty. And he expressed it to God. He says, I can't. I stutter. Peter in Luke chapter 5 and verse 8, as prideful as he was and as arrogant as he was and as Strong of a man as he was, he said, Go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. Paul recognized within himself, he says, There is nothing good that dwells in me that's in my flesh. He said, Nothing good is in me. In Romans chapter 7, verse 18. And then he said, In 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, I am the chiefest of sinners. And then in 
Philippians 3.8, he said the best thing that he could do in himself was garbage. He said, I can do nothing that is better than straight up trash before you, God. David said in Psalms chapter 51, verse 1 through 3, he says, Have mercy on me, O God, because of your unfailing love, because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sins. For I recognize my rebellion, and it haunts me day and night. He understands who he is before God, and he understands his complete destitute in his spirit, and he has nothing to offer God. And he says, have mercy on me, O God. Day and night I recognize that without you, God, I am nothing. And you see, this is the problem. Too many churchgoers today... They want to bring God's standards down to man's standards so we can do it without him. We're going to lower the standards so that we don't have to depend on God. It's impossible to do what God wants us to do. That's the point. That's the point. We must, as beggars, depend on him to give us what we need to do what he expects us to do. You see, their standard focuses on the outside of man. God's standard focuses on the inner man. You see, we can't be filled until we're empty. It's just a fact. We have to empty of self. We can't live until we die. To self. And yet, how many books have you ever read today about denying yourself? All the books want to tell you how to be happy. They want to tell you how to be satisfied. They want to tell you how to be a better you. But you won't find too many of them that will tell you how to deny yourself. And until you realize just how helpless you are, until you realize just how helpless you are, God has nothing for you. He has nothing for you. He cannot use a man who can do it himself or who thinks he can do it himself. You see, Proverbs Chapter 16 and verse 5 says, Everyone who is proud is an abomination unto the Lord. Poor in spirit is first. This is the very first thing that Jesus starts his, his message with because humility is the foundation. It's a strong foundation for everything else. Everything else comes off of humility off of understanding who we are. Step one, first step in humility is to stop looking at ourselves and to look to God 
How do you do that? You study His Word. You seek His face in prayer. And you desire to be near Him. Step two, you starve the flesh. You figure out what feeds your flesh and you remove it. Those things that feed our pride. Whatever it is, and you remove that from your life. You starve the flesh. Stop seeking and searching for praise and compliments. And understand, it's not evil to receive a compliment. It's evil to glory in it. The Bible teaches us to let another man pat you on the back, to sing your praises. I told a gentleman one day, I said, you know, I'd pat you on the back, but I can't get past your hand. And number three, ask God for it. Ask God for humbleness. Ask God that you would have the right attitude. Now, Thomas Watson gave seven principles for determining humility. And I, I wanted to read this because there's one in the middle that I found very interesting. And I would say many of us would struggle with this one. So how can we know if we are genuinely humble, if we are poor in spirit? Thomas Watson gives seven principles that we may apply in determining humility. First, if we are humble, we will be weaned from ourselves. We will be able to say with David, my soul is like a weaned child within me. Self is nothing, and Christ is everything. Second, humility will lead us to be lost in the wonder of Christ, with unveiling face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Our satisfaction will be in the prospect of one day being full of the likeness of our Lord. Now, this is the one that caught me off guard when I read this. Number three. We will not complain about our situations, no matter how, ma how bad it may become. Because we know, now listen to this, we know we deserve worse than anything we can experience in this life. We will consider no circumstance to be unfair. When tragedy comes, we will not say, why me, Lord? When our suffering is for Christ's sake, we not only will not complain or feel ashamed, but will glorify God for it. Ouch. But you know, and I say that that one kind of caught me off guard, but that was, that was the very attitude I had when, I, when my parents were dying. I, and I, I had people come to me and try to convince me that I was under attack from Satan and blah, blah, blah. And I said, you know what? I'm not special. I'm not special. I, didn't, I never felt like I was under attack when my parents were dying. That's the normal way that life goes. That's the way it should go. The parents should always pass before the children. It's not natural for a child to pass before its parents. That was normal. It was normal. And, and I used to say, why? Some people want to say, well, why me? And my thing was, why not me? I'm not special. 
Everybody goes through these things. Everybody has these problems. I'm not special. And I just, I found that very, and he said, especially when suffering because of your relationship with God. Especially, as a matter of fact, you should be honored. <laughs> We've been stuttering, stu- stuttering, studying Job. And how many times have we brought up the fact that what an honor it was for Job, whether he realized it or not, what an honor it was that God saw something in him that nobody else saw, even Job. Fourth, we will more clearly see the strengths and the virtues of others as well as our own weakness and sin. So we will see in others strength and virtues And it will be more clear to us of our own shortcomings. Fifth, we will spend much time in prayer just as the physical beggar begs for physical sustenances, the spiritual beggar begs for spiritual. Sixth, we will take Christ on his terms, not on ours or any other. We will not try to have Christ while keeping our pride our pleasures, our covetousness, or our immorality. We will come to him on his terms. And number seven, when we are poor in spirit, we will praise and thank God for his grace. Nothing more characterizes the humble believer than abounding gratitude to his Lord and Savior. He knows that he has no blessing and no happiness, but that which the Father gives in love and grace. And then he says, listen, for all those who recognize that they are beggars in the spirit, that they are destitute in the spirit, who all, for all of those who realize that they have nothing within them that can do right before God, he says, they are blessed because theirs is the kingdom of God. Not a single person will enter the kingdom of God without a poor spirit, without a humble spirit, without recognizing there is nothing I can do in and of myself to enter the kingdom of God. When we humble ourselves, we truly recognize our complete and total need of Him. He will give us the kingdom. And not just in the future, but now, in the here and now. Judges chapter 6 and verse 15 and 16. But he said to him, O Lord, how am I to save Israel? This is speaking of Gideon. Gideon who was cowering on the threshing floor as the enemy was upon them. And he says, O Lord, how am I to save Israel? Behold, my family is the least in Manasseh, and I am the youngest in my father's house. Yet the Lord said to him, I will certainly be with you, and you will defeat Midian as one man. Gideon says, Who am I? I come from a family who is nobody. 
amongst the people, and I am nobody amongst my family. I am the lowest of the lowest, Lord. How am I? He came and he called him a mighty man of valor as he's trembling in the corner. Are you, are you sure you got the right person, Lord? How can you use me? I am the least of the least of the least. I am the bottom of the totem pole, Lord. Do you understand that? He said, that's exactly what I want. I can use you. Then I was thinking, well, do you think that you're greater than Peter? Do you think that you're greater than Paul? Do you think that you're, how about Isaiah? Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 1. In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. And so Isaiah goes in at the death of the king, and now he's wondering what's going to happen. What's going to happen? And so he goes in and he sees, he has this vision of the Lord. And he sees the Lord sitting on the throne, lofty and exalted, with the train of his robe filling the temple. Then I said... Woe to me, for I am ruined. He said, because of how low I am, because of how destitute I am, I am a dead man. Because I have seen the Lord. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of armies. The one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hands, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. He touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your guilt is taken away, and atonement is made for your sin. Isaiah, when he saw God, he said, I am the worst of the worst, just like Gideon. He said, I come from a people with dirty lips, and here I am with dirty lips standing before God, and God says, I got you. I got you. I can use that. I can use that. So listen. When we recognize, when we give up on our own kingdom, when we give up on ourselves and what we think we can do and we recognize that we are poor we are destitute in spirit we have nothing to offer God that is when we can inherit the kingdom of God when we do away with our own kingdom we can inherit his kingdom see listen this is this is this one here kind of blew my mind also even Yeshua chose to live a fully human life and in that, he chose in himself to be poor in spirit. And this is what I mean by that. Listen, he said, I can do nothing of myself. He said, nothing that I say is from me, it's from the Father. He completely emptied himself in the spirit and allowed God to come in and, and give him everything to do. He said, nothing of myself. I do only what the Father tells me to do. That is poor of spirit. And we must recognize who we are before God, before God 
can enter into our lives and give us what we need in the spirit. Would you stand to your feet? And we need to understand this, and, and don't get me wrong, humbleness is not thinking bad of yourself. Humbleness is not thinking of yourself at all. And I'm telling you, the world, society, mom and dad, everybody's trying to tell you, if you don't take care of yourself, no one else will. Everything you see, you, they want you to lift yourself up. They want you to be proud. You want, they want you to have pride. And God says, you must understand who you are before me. Look at God. Don't compare yourself to me. Don't look at Larry and think, I'm not as bad as that guy. <laughs> or Jay. <laughs> right? That's what we want to do. We want to say, hey, I ain't as bad as that guy there. But what you need to do is compare yourself to God. Because he said, even the Pharisees, the most religious of the religious, he said, unless your righteousness exceeds them, never enter the gates of heaven. Father, we thank you. We thank you that as we continue this study that you began to open up this book. You began to reveal to us what is acceptable, what is expected from you, Father, in order for us to be right before you. And God, as we look at this first of the Beatitudes as we look at this first recommendation or this first expectation of the poor in spirit that I pray that in each of us that we realize just how wretched we are without you and yet God you have told us that when we empty ourselves out and we give up on how great we think we are and recognize that we are no better than the beggar who sits upon the corner, spiritually speaking. It is then and only then that you can come in and do some mighty works inside of us. And we thank you for that. And we thank you that you give us that opportunity. But who am I? all safe. And I ask all these things in your true and very precious name. Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.